Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Well, because we're recording at an unusual time and it sort of crosses over when yes. I would normally eat lunch. I eat my lunch at 11 o'clock because I want to have it all done before I go on air at 12 most days. But today I haven't actually brought a sandwich in. I've got, so I do this um, mixture of fruit and nuts and, but what happens is the rest of the family get into it and they eat all the fun fruits. So the dried pineapple, <laughs> the dried apricots I consider to be a fun fruit, dried pears are a fun fruit. And they leave the boring fruits like the raisins, which personally are my favourites. They leave the walnuts and they leave the almonds. Hang on, we've lost so- Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> so busy talking about my dried fruit situation. I'm back. I'm back. Oh, hello. You have to leave that in. I was listening I to um, – you there, Shana? Can she yeah, hear me? Yeah, I'm listening to your fruit and nut. What's happened? I didn't get yeah. bored. It fell out. Oh, whatever. Anyway, I filled the fruit and nuts yesterday, but I was listening to um, uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast, which he had to record, even with his many resources, um, and the, the guys in his technical room trying to get him to connect to the gear was hilarious. They did it like as outtakes at the end of the episode. He just was – it's the Steve Coogan one if anyone wants to listen to it. But he, they're saying, bottom left of the screen, press it. Right, can you see that? Open that up. Oh God, that's triggering for me. That's <laughs> Can relate. Now there's uh, something new happening with me today. Well, since it was Doggo World at your house, I've actually got Harvey in the room with me. But he's, as we've established, he's very old. Um, Yes. But he is prone because he's a bit confused. He's not usually in this room. He may do an occasional, oh, because he can't (laughs) see me because his sight is not good and he can't hear me because he's deaf. So he may not know where he is. So I'm just warning you that might happen. Well, I've moved to the spare room. I can I tell felt, you've moved. There's a bit yeah. of a, yeah, I thought maybe you were in the toilet. but <laughs> No, don't say, is it, is it echoey? Oh, it's not echoey. It's just a bit of a, sounds different. Yeah, it was, there was too much traffic where I was last yeah. time. Too much household traffic of dogs and Nicholas, who, when I just told him before, I need you to be quiet. He was like, looked at me like, oh, not this shit again. <laughs> So, to be fair, I'm people here. loved Nico on the oh, podcast. Oh, I loved the spinach and feta fiasco. That was magnificent. Was he was telling, fun. he was telling people about that for so long. He was like, and then the dog came in, and the dog took my pastry, and I was just like, I will never hear the end of this. All right, now Harvey's sitting up. He's going to do. He's being okay. I'll have to get Bonnie to come and take him in a few minutes. Um, Chanel, I also had something else to say because even yes. I know it was on our Facebook page, but not everyone yes. looks at our Facebook page. So sure. those who hadn't seen that wouldn't know that recently were held the top awards for journalists in Australia. They're called the Quills for Excellence in Journalism. And Ms. Chanel Vella won a quill for her live reporting of the George Pell case. And I nearly exploded with proudness oh my God, and rushed the stage. 
This I is was so good. dying. And I got, I had this, like, I just convinced myself that I wasn't going to win. And I was fine with that. Just go and get drunk at these awards. And, um, and I felt really embarrassed. I was really embarrassed when they said our name and then Dee Dee like rushed. So then, so they do the award and then there's other awards that happen afterwards. And so I go up there, I get my award, I come back to my table and I just see this person and it's at Crown Palladium. I see this person creeping along the ground or like towards my table and it's Dee Dee. And we just like held hands and silently screamed. Um, and it was, it was really, really nice. So... That was very exciting. So good. I know. And it was cross-pollination. But that's the nice thing about those because it's all journos from different networks and stuff. So we're not supposed to mix, are we? But there we were mixing. And I was proud of a Channel 7 girl and that's naughty when you work for Channel 9. (laughs) (laughs) So I remain proud of you. And also... we need to give a shout out to someone who so Ben Fordham as you would know he hosts mm. Australian Ninja Warrior he hosts the drive show on 2GB he was actually on my radio show the other day he gave so many plugs to this podcast he loves it oh my and, gosh and you he kept saying your name I'm yep. thinking oh my stop god it. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so embarrassed when people do this I feel like I'm just a small girl from you know the eastern suburbs of Melbourne that's me Oh, uh, you're the queen of murder. Murder. You say it best. That's it. Murder. <laughs> um, Do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm here for I it. I feel I feel a bit rattled this week because Why? because George Pell is out of jail. Mm. Oh no. And every morning I wake up and I go, Corona still exists, and George Pell is out of jail. Yep. Yeah, it's weird, oh. isn't it? And in a real moment of me being my true self on television and not being a professional, when they threw to me in the coverage and George Powell had just announced that he'd been released, I did the most shocked face on live television that you have ever seen in your life. Oh, no. I didn't even I didn't even try to be professional. I was so <laughs> shook. I couldn't even control it. And I was just on national television doing like a screaming face. <laughs> I just, and I was getting texts from people back in the office going, when they threw to you and said, Chanel, this is a shock decision, you really look shocked. And I was like, I was shocked. I couldn't hide oh, it. No. You could say yeah. you just weren't expecting to be live at that point, as in yes, you weren't prepared correct. for the cross, as opposed correct. to shocked by what had just happened. Yeah, I think the country correct. was all doing the same face, if that's any comfort. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. But anyway, here we go. Corona exists. George Powell is out of jail. Let's do some podcast shit. Yeah. Right. Let's do it. My story is about Tracy Andrews. Uh, We're going back to December 1996. Oh, ringing any bells? No. Not with me. Not so far. Okay. Okay, um, so Lee Harvey and his girlfriend Tracy Andrews had shared a few drinks on a night out at the Marlbrook Public House in Bromsgrove, Elven Church. Whoosh, I can't say this word, Worcestershire. Oh, like the sauce. It sounds right. I think it yeah. is like the sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but it looks and- like it should be Worcestershire, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. That's exactly yeah. what it looks like. Um, And they started to drive home, but as they began to drive home, a vehicle started to tailgate them. So the the car's tailgating them, it's high beaming, and it's kind of 
taunting them. You know what I mean? When it's driving, slowing, going fast, slowing down, all that kind of business. So they get close to their house and Lee has had enough. He gets out of his car and as he gets out of his car, the driver of this erratic driving vehicle gets out. Hang on. And they start to... I've got what? an early interruption. Oh, okay. It begins. Oh, Kirsten, <laughs> do you mind? <laughs> well, the movie Duel was on TV the other night and I had Haven't forgotten... Seen it. Is it Dennis Hopper? I think I'm getting the wrong actor. Um, oh, it's a famous, I think it was 1970s. And it's a guy, and I forget why it happens, but the guy is driving through the desert, must be Arizona or somewhere, and there's a truck. And it oh. starts to do that to him, to menace him. And it go, the whole film oh, is just this man this, in his car and the truck. Is this from, was that a book originally? Mm, not sure, but if you want a movie to watch in lockdown, it is a classic and I, I started watching it and couldn't turn it off. It is so oh. good and it still holds up. Duel, it's just D-U-E-L, Duel. Can I give yep. you a, a light-hearted, fun comedy to watch in lockdown? Please. Yes. Oh, okay, lovely. It's called um, Love Wedding Repeat and it just dropped on Netflix and I watched it last night and it was really good and I laughed a lot. Has hmm. no one, does anyone die? No one dies. So if you want a break from murdering that's and death, one. that's the one. Okay. Love wedding repeat. Very cute little movie. Anyway, so Lee gets out, this other driver gets out, and they start to argue. And the whole time, Tracy, the girlfriend, is yelling at Lee to get back into the car. Um, she's yelling at him. He's not getting back in the car. And... So eventually she jumps out of the car and as she's walking towards them, Lee and this man are punching each other, full on argument. So, yeah. So she starts yelling like, fuck off, fuck off, get off him, get off him. The passenger of the other vehicle gets out and punches Tracy in the face. She falls to the ground and... As she she's in a daze, she wakes up, she sees the two men walking back to their vehicle and they drive off. As soon as they're gone, she, of course, rushes to Lee and she's checking for a pulse and there isn't one. It's then that she realises they weren't punching Lee, they were stabbing him. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's not exactly... My dog's are barking. It started. No, stop. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, it wasn't exactly random because seven months earlier, around the same area, another man had been stabbed to death on the side of the freeway after a road rage incident. Um, and that man had been shot and killed. Another man had been shot and killed as well. So the climate around road rage turning fatal wasn't unusual. So police, um, they have to inform, of course, Lee's parents um, that their son is dead. Kirst, do we have audio here? Yes, we do. Stand by. I was in bed asleep. There was a knock on the door. They asked us if we was Mr and Mrs Harvey. We got a son called Lee. There'd been a, an accident, they'd said, but it had been some sort of road rage. And somebody had stabbed my son and he was dead. So the road rage attack It would be wrong to mock someone's accent, wouldn't it? Yes, I wouldn't. That would be a terrible thing to do. Still it in your inside. Your ins- I know, it's a very good accent. Ringo Don't Star. do it, don't do it. I don't. won't. I wouldn't. 
don't don't do it okay Not so the road it. rage attack is good think about it take a moment let's just take 10 seconds you do it in your head one two three four five six seven eight nine ten you good it's like it's in me just wanting to come yeah. out. No, I wouldn't do I'm it. That's terrible. Okay. All right. The road rage attack is huge news. And after a few days, police ask Tracy um, and Lee's family if they'll do a public appeal um, to see if they can get these men to come forward or if they can identify who these men are. Of course, this happens in real life. We do this in Victoria all the time. Um, we've got some more audio here. This is Tracy at that appeal. I got out the car because I'm not the sort of person to sit there. With, uh, I got out the car and then I went over to the uh, man. We had a confrontation and he hit me. I can't remember. I fell to the floor. I can't remember if I was um, knocked out for a bit or what. I don't know. Okay. Now I'm going to send you a little picture to both your mobile phones. And we'll put this up on our socials. So mm. this is Tracy. This is what she looks like. Tracy's a model. At the moment, she oh, looks like that. Harvey, my dog, because <laughs> my screen's having nothing. Oh, there we are. Okay, and here it comes. Oh, gosh, she's rather glam, isn't she? Oh, she's yeah, back she's... to one of those studios where they... Yes, it's a glamour shoot. shot. It's a glamour shot. It is. What did they call those? Like hot shots or something. What They used to oh. be like this... In the, they used to be in the um, supermarket, not the supermarket, the shopping centres, and you get glam shots for like your 60th <laughs> birthday or something, you know? It looks like one of those photos. This, I'm going to send you another photo, is how Tracy appeared at that witness appeal. Ooh. I'm going to guess not as glamorous. Well, it's no. taking longer to come to my house. Okay, let's have a look. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Well, they got her right, in the eyes, so didn't they? Yeah, so she's all battered and bruised and far from looking like her normal glamorous self. She's so, got great hair, though, hasn't she? It's very good hair. Mm. So... Um, during the press conference, Tracy's extremely fragile. There's obviously a room full of journalists who are asking her all these questions and she just can't answer them. But she becomes really overwhelmed to the point where a police officer um, has to stand in for her and start answer, like taking the, the questions because she's getting confused and her answers are changing. Um, so a police officer steps in. After the press conference, she goes home and she overdoses on pills. When she's found, she's unconscious and she dies twice on the way to hospital. They manage to stabilize her, though, and while she's recovering in hospital, a witness comes forward who says they'd seen what happened tonight, but what happened that night, rather, and that witness says there weren't two cars. There was only one car. And what? inside that car was a man and a woman who were arguing. In fact, the couple were arguing so much so that well, I kind of need to set this up for you. Um, so imagine T intersection. This witness is waiting to turn either left or right in the T right. as this car drives past in front of them. Now, the witness says that the man and the woman are driving so uh, and arguing so much that they were meant to turn down the road they were sitting in, but instead overshot and went past. They then had to slam on the brakes and reverse back in front of them and then make the turn down alongside them. That is how the witness knows it was one car, no one else behind them. 
and it was just the two people in the car. So when police hear this, they immediately go to the hospital and they arrest Tracy Andrews with the murder of Lee. A few days later, because she's obviously in the hospital due to that overdose, she's interviewed by police. She's told of the differences in the two accounts and she says, okay, um, I want to tell you something. And she asks for her solicitor. They talk for about 40 minutes and when police come back, she, she says she's got nothing to say about the murder of her fiancé. She doesn't want to talk about it. So uh, they go to court because she's, she's obviously charged. They go to court um, and she says she has this, I don't know, I've never heard of a lawyer like this in my life, but she has this lawyer who basically invites the media to report every single part of the court case. He holds all these press conferences. He puts Tracy right in the middle of them as well. I think we've got another grab here. Mm -hmm. Detectives leading the murder inquiry turned up unexpectedly and without invitation. Uh, I wouldn't say so much as guests, as probably uninvited guests. Yeah, we made the decision to go to this. In 30 years, I suppose now, in journalism, I've never been to a defence press conference. That is very strange. You haven't seen anything like that? Never. I've never seen a defence hold a press conference with an accused. And basically what you were hearing there is the police are turning up to them because it's so weird and obviously they want to see what's going on. So mm. her lawyer's holding these press conferences and the homicide cops are turning up to them as well to see what's going on. The whole time, of course, Tracy is saying that she is innocent um, and she, her lawyer gets her to sit with, a, with an artist to create a photo fit of what she believes the attacker looked like. And she does that and they come up with this photo fit they put out and they're saying, this is the man who fatally attacked her fiancé. Does it look like one... Mr Potato Head? Well, there's a problem with mm -hmm. it. Um, let's take a listen. This is one of the police officers who interviewed her on the night of the attack. She did an e-fit that looked remarkably like I'd looked on the night that I first met her. So we had the situation where the defence had published the e-fit, but we were receiving nominations as to who that uh, possibly was. In fact, uh, people were saying to me, you know, it's you, you know, the e-fit's you, my, my mother-in-law rang my wife and said there's a photograph of our Brian in the paper very fat faced short hair and it was very much like me how good is that very flat faced it's very that much like me Mr. that's our Brian <laughs> <laughs> that's our Brian so poor Brian has interviewed her on the night she's had to make up this e-fit and she's just zoned in on him in her mind and she has created an e-fit that looks exactly like one of the detectives that is involved in the... <laughs> is there a photo of it? Will we be able to... <laughs> Hold on, wait, let a me photo Google. photo of Brian and then what? <laughs> I want to see it. What she's Brian. come up with. <laughs> they actually look exactly the same as well. In Napoleon Dynamite where he does the sketch of who's the girl that he goes out on a date with i've forgotten her name oh he does a sketch of her it takes him four hours and he, <laughs> he said no, he says he says it took me four hours to shade her up a lip <laughs> that's the worst picture ever i can't find it i will find it though it's very good Sorry. it really does look exactly like this poor detective who's got his mother-in-law ringing up saying our oh, brian's in the paper um <laughs> Okay, so by now she's on trial and prosecutors are alleging that 
she in fact stabbed Lee to death after an argument between them. They said Lee was trying to break up with her and she was furious. He'd been stabbed 36 times and the evidence from those wounds showed the majority of those stab wounds were in his back. Now, important to remember at this stage that his attacker was meant to have been face to face with him. Mm. But so reached around Tracy's and stabbed him. Yeah, exactly. Managed to reach around and stab him in the back, correct? So Tracy couldn't explain why his injuries were in his back, but prosecutors could. They said Tracy stabbed him while he was walking away. They believed he had enough. He tried to get out of the car and walk away. Um, and as he did that, she approached him and just stabbed him multiple times in the back. But what about the knife? The strongest point for the defence was the absence of a murder weapon. The reality, as the evidence eventually showed, was that she had secreted it about herself. Uh, she must have slipped it inside one of her boots. It must have been in there when she was taken to hospital. It must have been in there while she was in the hospital. And then the evidence was she kept slipping away for long periods of time to one of the lavatories nearby within the hospital. One of the lavatories inside the hospital. <laughs> the bog, the loo. Yes. Um, but wouldn't she Correct. have had, like when they came to the crime scene, wouldn't, if, if she stabbed him 36 times, allegedly, at this mm. stage, because you haven't told us she's guilty or not, mm. um, wouldn't she have had blood all up her arms and hands? Yeah. Yeah, but you sh I guess you could have said that was from touching him afterwards. Mm. Okay. No, but no, what okay. I love, so, okay, they, they can't find this knife. They think that perhaps she's gotten rid of it somewhere in the hospital afterwards. So they look inside her, her boot, um, which, of course, all her clothes were taken into evidence. And you know that light um, leather colour, that light cream colour that you have inside your boots? You know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they look inside her boot, and inside her boot is an imprinted stain of a Swiss Army knife. Fantastic. Mm. How amazing is that? I was loving it when I read that. And it was just like the perfect shape of a Swiss Army knife imprinted up against the leather inside her boot. Gotcha. At the end of the... Tr yep. At the well, end of the trial, the jury no, took... Um, what? But all, all that says is that she had a knife. I'm just... I'm being clinical about this. I'm what? judging this case. Well, all it says that she had a knife in her boot. Yeah, covered with have... blood. Well, no, she didn't say covered with blood. She just said in a perfect imprint. Was it covered in blood? No, of blood. See? It was of blood. Ha -ha. But they need to prove that that knife is the one that stabbed him to death. But even then, can they prove that she was the one holding it? Someone might have grabbed it out of her boot and stabbed him with it. But then how to get blood on really it? really annoying She's on walking a jury. around if I'm running <laughs> oh, this thing. So. <laughs> Could you imagine Dee on a jury? Yeah. This is where everyone would have to go out for a smoke break. <laughs> Dee would say that and you'd be like, I'm out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd just be prolonging it so they have to bring snacks in and stuff. <laughs> oh, just on that, there is a tippy at the Supreme Court. Tippies are the people that they're charged with looking after the court. And sometimes if the jury has leftover drinks and lollies and he sees me, he gives them to me. And oh, that that's makes me really nice. Happy. I'm yeah, glad, I'm yeah it really is nice. What sort yeah. of snacks are on offer? Um, Oh, okay. Let me give you an insight. So they always get sandwiches. They always get like the little nice cut sandwiches with the crust cut off them. And then they get like chocolates and lollies, soft drinks, water, juice, 
that's pretty much it. I think they I'm get happy with just sometimes. the sandwiches. And is there egg sandwiches? Yes, I think there is because they come from a cafe across the road from the court. So, yes, they get all sorts of sandwiches. So good. I love it when, like, commercial places or places make or, or there's, like, a, a function that's been catered for. There's always egg sandwiches because it's the one thing you can't be bothered doing yourself at home. Like, no who's got time to stand there and now. boil the eggs and crush them, peel them and crush them? I love it when someone else has done it all for you. I might do that after this. I would love an egg sandwich mm. now. Yeah, curried egg or just plain with mayonnaise? Just plain with mayo, I reckon. Yeah, and pepper. Yes, mm. do it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. My mouth's watering. We have to keep going. Otherwise, I'm going to start getting really hungry. Okay, at the end of the trial, the jury took two days to deliberate and she was found guilty of murder. Yes, she was. So, yes, she was. In 1997, she was sentenced to life behind bars, but... In 1999, she was back in the headlines when she confessed to the murder in a letter to a friend. She said in that letter that they had, her and Lee had been arguing over um, an ex and the argument became so heated that she was, she asked to be let out of the car. She was walking away. She claimed that Lee began to follow her and pulled a knife on her and attacked her first. And that's how she says she got the black eye. She said, I must have stabbed him. Then he stood still and shouted, you fucking bitch. Then hit me so hard I fell again. I got up halfway and all I can remember is seeing red. I just went mad. Everything went like slow motion. I was shaking and had lost all control. All the abuse I had suffered and all the nasty things that had been thrown in my face. The way he had openly admitted to hating my relationship with my daughter and the fact that he had held the knife to me and was going to either slash my face or stab me had just come to a head. I have never, ever in my whole life lost control like I did that night. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I do believe he hit her and I do think that there is, you know, if if that is all true, that she was treated so horribly by him, I can understand that all got pent up in her. But I still... I know it's easy for me to say this, but walk away. Don't kill a person. I know. Because if she does, did you say she had a daughter just then? Yeah, yeah, she's a daughter. Well, now your daughter will not have the life that she deserved with her mother because you're in jail. So it's it's the wrong option. And I know, Correct. you know, in the heat of the moment, you, you don't make a sensible decision. But um, yeah, you should walk away. Yep, agreed. Murder is not an option. <laughs> Okay, so News of the World published the letter. Yes. Murder is not an option. Yes, that's, there it is. I'm going to embroider Sometimes, though, I think about it. Sometimes I think about it for people I really hate and Mm -hmm. I think could be worth it. Mm. Oh, no. I want to be on the bad side. (laughs) When I get really mad. I had to tell Nicholas the other day that even when I'm super mad at him, I'm still into him. <laughs> He's kind of cute. That's what I said the other day. Yeah, even when I'm so mad, still into him. Okay, so News of the World published that letter, but they wouldn't say how they got it or if they paid any money for it. Lee's family said the only reason she had written it was to try and show remorse in the hope of getting a lighter sentence. Now, you may remember the story I did last week about Jane Andrews. Mm-hmm. So. 
Jane Andrews and Tracy Andrews, not related, but they're in the same jail together and they are now best friends behind bars. They have been dubbed the Andrews Systems. Systems. What? Andrews (laughs) Sisters. What? Sisters. You know, the Andrews Sisters. Yeah, I was going to say there's a group, the Andrews Sisters. They were like the war years. Yep, so two women, same surname, killed their partners by stabbing them, and now they're best friends. Boogie woogie boogie boy from Company B. And also, when I get mad with Kieran, I got really mad with him yesterday. And yes. Because you know, we've been married forever, but I'll tell you what he did. Do you want to know what he did? Yes. Okay, so yes. I had washed the car, and I don't know about you, but I'm not that crazy about washing the car, but it's a reasonably new I car, and it. I want to make it shiny and pretty and stuff. So I And yeah. I thought, I'm not driving it that much at the moment, so I'll, I'll wash it. And I did such a good job of it, and I dried it and polished and... And it it's was raining lovely. right now. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Is your car no. inside or out? Yeah, it's in the garage. No, and then I put okay. it in the garage and thought it's in there. And it was kind of nice knowing that it was in there. So the next time I had to go out in the car, it was going to be beautiful to drive out in. Yeah. He is a plasterer. He's never going to listen to this. So I can just rip on in. No, nah, um, it's fine. He's just... And he and, and he's denying all of this at this stage. So I've asked him before because the garage is sort of – it's open to his workshoppy side of it. So the garage has got room for two cars and then it's got his sort of workshoppy bit where all his tools and all that stuff and he does all his whatever he does. And um, he – had once a while ago sanded something down and all the dust had gone on my car and I'd yelled at him back then, you know, whenever it happened. So I go to get my car out and it's covered in fine white dust. Now, he's a plasterer. Mm. So I don't know who your list of suspects would include. (laughs) If your newly washed car was covered in a fine layer of white dust. So I said to him, did you sand down some plaster in the garage right next to my car and he denied it and I said well oh that's really weird because there's this white dust on the car my just car has today. dandruff yeah. Yeah. yeah and he and then he eventually sort of said oh uh, well I, I was did some but I was outside the garage he claimed that he was like oh, no. in front of it and the dust must have flown in. And he's still denying it. And yesterday I angrily washed the car in front of him, like as in this is your fault that I'm having to do this again. And he still hasn't fessed up. And even though I'm really mad with him, I still love him. And it's kind of actually making me want to laugh at, <laughs> at him <laughs> at him thinking that he's gotten away with it, but he hasn't because I know he did it. You know, he's lied because he just didn't want to endure your wrath. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Because I'm horrible when I'm angry. Yeah. Nicholas tried to tell me yesterday that this was his house and it was his rules. How do you think that went down? <laughs> wow. That's Yeah. Messy. He was like, he was like, no, this is my house and I can, I can have rules. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You have forgotten that this is absolutely not your house and everything I want is what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it he works. Was, yeah, he was not into it, but he knows I'm right. Deep down, he knows. <laughs> well, they say that you only fight because you care. So if you were to just not say anything and walk away, that's worse because that means you can't be bothered, you know, trying to sort it out with the person. So if you're having a fight with them, it's still good. And as your does your temper go? Does it last for ages? Like, are you angry for a very long time, or does it just go? Oh yeah. So no, no. I 
I'm angry for a really long time. And I think I've said this before. My best party trick is even angry, I can fall asleep. So Nicholas will stay awake for hours. And this is me. I just put my head on the pillow and I just look at him and I go, bye. And I shut my eyes. And in like 30 seconds, I'm asleep. Wow. And he hates it, and that. it makes him yeah. He it makes him so mad. And I go, we'll just be arguing, and I'll go, I'm going to sleep now. And he's like, don't do it, don't do that, don't Chanel, don't do that. And I'm like, see ya. And I'm just down and out. That's and that's quite weapon weaponized because like if yeah. someone just sleep, like you want us if you do, if you are wanting to sort something out with someone before bed, yeah. which you're supposed to do, just as a bit of marital advice for you. Going you forward, are, you China, are, yeah. Uh, yeah. You meant to sort it out before you fall asleep. Well, yeah. mine just goes bang, and then so if I was a, if I was a type of firecracker, I would just be a little penny bunger because I just go, oh, I'm angry with you, bang, and it comes out, and then I forget, like I've got the memory of a goldfish, and ten minutes later I've forgotten what I was cross about. So sometimes, well, I think that's what Kieran's doing. He's just sort of waiting and hoping that I'll forget that I was cross about the car, but I'm not letting this one go. You're not. Nah, no, don't let it go. It's okay. Sometimes you need to hold on to it, but then there'll be a moment where you actually need to talk to him about something. And you'll have to not be angry and you're annoyed that you have to have that conversation. Now, I'm going to bring it up in a passive-aggressive way. As yes. Like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it'll come I up I love again. a bit of passive-aggressive. <laughs> I'm going with a bit of passag. All right, <laughs> I've got a story for you. We're going back Yay. to okay, very, where? Uh, very early Melbourne. And okay. this is actually in 1847, but there was a um, – so in the centre of the city on the – a diagonal opposite corner to where the GPO is now was this huge thing called the Eastern Market. So it was similar to the Victoria Markets, if you are from Melbourne, you'll know. So basically a big indoor market with sort of permanent um, shops and stalls around the outside and then the inner part of it was sort of floating stalls. But Mm -hmm. enormous, enormous. Uh, so Corner of Birkin Exhibition, that actually was. It was there right up until, uh, I think, 1860. It was demolished quite early in Melbourne's history. It didn't last for a long time. And um, corrugated iron roof, you know, the kind of stuff. So market gardeners yep. would come into town and back their carts in and sell their stuff there. There was room for about 200 carts. Um, the Eastern Market ran into a bit of trouble in the 1890s. There was a couple of small fires. There was a woman called, this was in 1892, a 24-year-old woman called Nellie Harrison. So there was a shooting gallery, which was a way of, they would just do it for fun in those days. It was called Duke's Shooting Gallery. And Nellie Harrison went along and there was a young lad called Miles who was running the shooting gallery. So it's basically like, you know, when you go to a fun fair. But this had actual weapons. Um, So Miles was in charge. There was another guy also there at that stall at the time. His name was Charles Butler. And he asked Nellie if she'd like to have a shot with a rifle. And she said, yes. So they gave her a rifle and she aimed at a target, but she missed. Oh, God. So, um, and this is not the main story. This is just like the market's so obviously like out of control. There's mad stuff going on everywhere. So Charles Butler, the other guy standing there, he showed her how to hold the gun properly. She fired off another shot, but it hit him in the ear uh, and part of his scalp was blown off. So he was taken to hospital and treated. He was okay. Um, The following year, October 1893, a 30-year-old by the name of Lawrence Faber entered and there was another shooting gallery in the market and he chose an old long barrel pistol 
and he shot several times at a target. And then when he had one bullet left, he said, as if he was joking, they all thought he was joking, he said, here goes for a bullseye. And before anyone could stop him, he put the pistol to his head and shot the bullet into his right temple. So he fell to the floor unconscious and everyone thought he was dead. So they rushed him to Melbourne Hospital. They operated on him, but the bullet had lodged at the base of his brain and they couldn't get it out. So he died within hours. So I tell you those things too. There was other things. There was one incident where a workman was working up on the top of the market. So it was incredibly big. It was 60 feet high, the roof, and he fell through a skylight and fell to the ground. They reported in the paper as suffering a severe scalp wound, but I'm inclined to think he's probably his head was broken open falling from that height. Oh. So that's just to give you a picture of what the market is like. There's people rushing, there's carts, there's vegetables, there's things, there's people who are shooting madness. So on Monday, April 10... 1899, there was a murder. Murder. Thank you. Gordon Emery Medor was a phrenologist, and I think we have referred to them on the pod before. So they, they're people who, um, and sometimes you see in old things, there's like a, a, a human head and it's got like line drawings on it of this and that yes. and the moods. So, yeah, well, they were used by phrenologists. So there were people who measured the bumps on the skull to predict what your character traits were. So it's it's sort of like fortune telling. It's a telling. It's not a proper science. And he was also described as an eccentric astrologer. And for some time in the market, he hadn't been getting along with some of the other shopkeepers. So he had one of the permanent um, stores around the outside of the market. And the murder happened on the Monday. On the Saturday before that, Emery Medor had been drinking very heavily and couldn't open his shop. So some joker put a morning card on his door. Now, morning cards were black cards that people would put out when there had been a death in their house. And I think people used to actually put them on the doors of their homes so others would know that there'd been a death there. And somebody wrote on the card on the door of his shop, closed in consequence of the death of Venus. And I don't really know what that means. I don't know, but it's obviously a reference to him being an astrologer. So when Emery, that was on the Saturday. So when Emery Meador got there on the Monday morning, he found the card and he was furious. And he said to a salesman who worked for some cement makers down on the lower level that he was going to get a revolver and make an end of his enemies. But they didn't take him seriously. So then somebody else, um, I'm going to guess probably the same person who wrote the card, tied a bunch of radishes to his door. What does that mean? Well, a, a bunch of radishes, as in the salad vegetable. Yeah, I is, don't that, is that know. an omen for something? Yeah, was that a gift? I really don't know, actually. I should, or do you want to Google while I'm yapping Googling, along? I'm Googling, hold on. Yeah, it must be. I don't know what a bunch of, of radishes symbolised. But <laughs> hang on. Shall we wait while Chanel Googles? <laughs> it's just radishes. a different time, isn't it? To yeah. be insulted Adore. by... A bunch of a radishes. Bunch of radishes. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm Googling it too. I should have looked it up probably. But this does come after the death of Venus. Yes. Oh, I just got all these images for a bunch of... Oh. Um. <laughs> it's just giving me recipes for radishes. Yeah. What to do with an overload of radishes. 
Yeah, we'll never know. Uh, it must have been some sort, unless it's in Wikipedia, but look, it'll be too hard to find out. We will try and find out for you. Yeah. Okay, so a bunch mm-hmm. of radishes hanging on the door. Who did it? Aren't you naughty? Ha, ha, ha. So when Emery Meador got back to his shop at about half past four, and he'd been drinking, he opened his door and he went inside and grabbed his revolver. There was a woman standing outside the shop next door. Her name was Annie Stevens, and she was talking to her 10-year-old nephew. So Emery Meador came out of his shop with his gun, and he rushed towards her, raised the weapon, and fired. She put her arm up to protect herself, and the bullet hit her arm, and then he rammed into her, and she staggered back. He was still pointing the revolver at her. So Annie fought back, and by this stage he's pressing the muzzle of the gun against her temple. She managed to push it down, but the barrel of the revolver hit her ear and apparently almost tore her ear off. So Emery Meador gave up on her and went back into his shop. So she got up and she ran off screaming wildly. Her husband, Frank, was managing one of the stalls in the middle of the market. And he had heard the shot and he saw the blood on his wife's arm. So he went into, so obviously she told him who'd done it. He went into Emery Meador's shop after him. Now, at the same time, some other shopkeepers came out of their stores because they heard two more shots in quick succession. And then Mm -hmm. there was silence. So a man by the name of Barnett Friedman, who ran a picture framing business in the middle of the market, he was the first one there to Meador's shop. And another man, uh, Cecil, I love these guys' names, Cecil Goodison. Um, He was, you don't get many Cecils, do you, these days? I don't know anyone called Cecil. No, you don't like hear, oh, come and see the new baby. Here's baby Cecil. You don't get that. No, or I would not go and see that baby. I'd just Reg say no thanks. Born. Yeah. <laughs> Reg has been born. <laughs> okay, so Cecil Goodison was visiting from Western Australia and he had come in. He had actually been out on Little Collins Street at the time. He heard the commotion inside the market and he came in. So Barnett Friedman went into Meador's shop first and Emery Meador was standing at the entrance to the office, which was within his shop, holding the gun in his right hand and a long dagger dripping with blood was in his left a hand. A dagger? Yep. And he was waving, so revolver in one, dagger in the other, blood on the dagger. He was waving his arms around. So both of these guys, guys Barnett Friedman and Cecil Goodison, thought... They actually said later in court that they thought that he wasn't intending them any harm. So Friedman tried to grab Emery Meador, but the dagger ended up going into his right eye and slashed across his eyeball. The other guy, uh, Goodison, he got Meador's wrists and he held them. And at this, the stage, names in this are ridiculous. It sounds like a pantomime. <laughs> it from, does, doesn't it? Like he's behind you. Just everything <laughs> in it is mad, mad, mad. He, it gets madder. And now a small boy enters the shop. So this must be the a small nephew. boy. <laughs> a little kid comes in and takes the revolver out of Emery Meador's hand. Here we go. No. So by this stage, the police have arrived. They arrested Emery Meador and Frank Stevens, who was the husband of that first lady that was shot. His body is now laying face down on the floor of Emery Meador's office. So a cop 
flipped him over so that he wouldn't be suffocated by his own blood, but he was actually dead. His head, oh. they said, was half severed by two vicious <gasps> slashes which Midor had done with the dagger. So they think that he'd actually um, slashed him with the dagger after he was already unconscious or possibly dead from a gunshot on the floor. So Emery Midor walked over to the body. I love how he still had to walk around even though the yeah. cops were there. Yeah, and what's he said, happening? I know. And he said, that's all right. I did it. I never missed a shot yet. So he was arrested and charged with murder and it sounds like he was quite happy with himself. So just to check in on Annie Stevens, the first lady who was shot in the arm, and Soria, she was treated in hospital and she recovered okay. Barnett Friedman, the guy who got the dagger in the eye, he was taken to the eye and ear hospital, but they weren't able to save his eye, so they had to take that out, but he himself survived. So there was a lot of talk about the, um, and in the papers at the time, it was quite a big story, there was a lot of talk about the baiting of Emery Medor by these jokers in the market because they'd been poking fun at him over some time and they'd just worn out his patience. One of the jokers admitted that business was a bit slow in the markets, which probably explains why it was um, torn, a bit, torn down eventually. Uh, so they had nothing else to do but make their own fun by, um, they, they said they went to all sorts of... What? They had no choice but to make their own fun. Yes, such like as killing people. Doing in isolation. Well, I don't think. No, but they were only. He was the one killing people. They were only doing fun things like putting radishes on people's doors. Okay. 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 Yeah. Let's do a bit of that, people. Don't dress up and take your bins out. Put radishes out. Um, they admitted, to, uh, as they said, took uh, took all sorts of pains to invent trouble for him, and they loved watching him when he would lose his patience. Uh, so. Once uh, they admitted that at one stage they'd sent a whole string of people to go into his shop to say that they understood he had a dog he wanted to drown and that he was going to pay anyone to do it for him. You know, like just ridiculous stuff like that. So Emery Meador had gotten himself a dog. He set it onto one of the jokers. They sent beggars, canvases, all sorts of people in there to annoy him and he would lose his temper. And they said, it was jolly enough for us and we we never thought of anything but idle mischief. So in other words, they were just trying to have a bit of fun. Um, just and joking. Then, uh, just joshing. And then at just that point, <laughs> I did a bit of Steve Brule there. I think I've referred to Steve Brule before. It's a character that um, John C. Riley does. So the newspapers got this case just became so bizarre. The newspapers then went off on this tangent of editorialising on what constituted comedy or not was it fun that they were doing all this stuff to him or not and they said that you will get more people to laugh at a stage gentleman who sits down on a jam tart and goes about his business with the pastry adhering to his person than at the best spoken jest ever invented which means there's no joke that you can tell that is as funny as watching someone who sat down on a jam tart walking around with the jam tart still hanging off their ass. <laughs> probably valid. It's true, isn't it's, it? It's probably right. It's probably right. Yeah. Uh, but they did decide, this was the papers and people discussing it, they decided that it was actually cowardly to make a continual butt of the joke of one man. And it, it does seem a little bit cruel, doesn't it, that they're mm. all picking on just him in particular. 
Um, oh, and there was just another one they quoted of what was apparently an acceptable um, example of practical joking at that time. And this had happened in London at a very fashionable gathering. There was a bald man and he'd got an artist to paint a face on the back of his head and he put his suit on backwards and was led into That's the ballroom. That's actually really funny. That's it's really not bad, funny. is it? They said yeah, the I ladies, think funny. ladies laughed themselves into hysterics and the men roared with hilarity. Yeah, Comedy. I would do that. I yeah. think that yeah. I, I have really cheap laughs like that. I mean, that's humour. Well, it is funny. Yeah. I like it. I still I like the jam tart on the bum. All right. So the 16th of June, 1899, Emery Meador was charged with the murder of Francis Cartwright, who was Frank Stevens. I don't know why he's got a completely different name. He pleaded not guilty in the criminal court in Melbourne. Constable Wolgers gave evidence that when he arrested Meador, there was not the slightest sign of liquor on him as he had been drinking. He appeared to be very excited. His cheeks were flushed and he opened his eyes wide. On the way to the police lockup, Medor had said to this copper that um, he had been aggravated in the market and that he was ropeable. So they called in a doctor who gave evidence that Emery Medor had been drinking very heavily on the Friday and the Saturday before tapering off on the Sunday. And then on the Monday morning, the day of the murder... This is what he had, and this is his – he hasn't been drinking much menu. Have a listen to this. He uh, On Monday morning, he had some brandy in milk and a couple of beers. Uh, brandy and in he, milk? Yeah. That, that's his okay. I'm not drinking today thing for breakfast. He admitted yep. to drinking for the last 20 years, and for the last five years each day, he would have four or five nobblers of spirit. What do you reckon a nobbler is? Would that be like a little no shot glass? No idea. Mm. Uh, he would have whiskey in the morning before breakfast from seven between seven and ten nobblers during the day and three or four nobblers before bedtime so he's pretty much pickled for the last five yeah. years yeah yeah wow. yeah and so because he had st- stopped drinking on the Sunday, this doctor said that could affect his circulation, causing anemia of the brain, which would cause great mental excitement, which would cause a man to not to be able to reason property. And seeing the bunch of radishes on the door while he was suffering from what they called alcohol mania was the last straw for him. So the defence case was that Emery Meador was insane when he murdered Stevens and that he had been subjected to cruel and heartless treatment and had been baited by his neighbours. Um, Annie Stevens, the first woman to be injured there, she told the court that Meador was always quarrelling with them and insulting them and that on the day when the radishes were hung on his door, he said to her, you wretch, you put those on my door. So the next day... The radishes really piss people off. Yeah, why, why, I wonder? I don't know. I can't, I still can't find it either, but they were the real cause of great distress for many people. <laughs> it's so strange, isn't it? Yeah, continue, so... Yeah, we'll get to the bottom of it. So the next day in court, a doctor by the name of Robert Andrew Sterling said he had once treated Emery Meador and he called him thoroughly... Pe- peculiar. He said he was glad to get rid of him. This is a doctor. He said Meador was quarrelsome and irritable, a crank and a shingle short. 
And then there was laughter in the court when he said, this is all his evidence in court. There was laughter in the court. Apparently the court case was hilarious. Everyone was laughing. This Dr. Sterling said that Emery Medor was on the borderland between sanity and insanity. He suffered from delirium tremens, which is the, the they call it the DTs, which is uh, um, like when you get really quickly get confused when you go off of alcohol. Um, he, the, the doctor said he was a great braggart, claiming through his astrology that he had predicted big fires in London and Melbourne and the shooting of the Duke of Edinburgh. And Emery Meader also admitted studying demonology. Um, and this doctor examined Medor's head and found a slight depression of the bone around the frontal lobe. But they said it was impossible to say whether this affected his brain. Yes, because it doesn't. So when the um, justice hearing the case, Justice Holroyd asked the doctor if um, when Emery Medor fired at Annie Stevens, he, uh, sorry, this um, Frank Stevens, he knew what he was doing. The doctor said, no, he didn't. He said he couldn't believe a man is in his right mind if he thinks he can foretell the future by stars and planets. And he said, I believe the man who thinks he can call up Julius Caesar for an opinion is not quite right. More laughter in the court. Oh, man. I love it. Another doctor by the name of Dr. Frederick W. Morton said that at the time of the, uh, the murder, uh, Emery Medor was suffering from acute... I shouldn't do that. It's yours. Uh, Emery Medor was no, suffering... No, we share. <laughs> I feel guilty. I feel bad. I took your thing. Emery no. Medor was suffering from acute alcoholic mania. Because no sane man would have done a thing. But so um, Justice, uh, sorry, another guy, James Vernon McCreary, who was the inspector of lunatic asylums, which is an expression we don't use anymore. We don't. We do um, not use mm, lunatic. Isn't it to do with the sun? They used to think that people, sorry, the moon, people went mad according to the phases of the moon. Like a full moon? Yeah. Now people go a little funny? Yeah, lunatic. Because of oh. the moon. Mm. Uh, anyway, we don't say that because they used to lock people. I mean, if people were alcoholics, they used to stick them in a lunatic asylum. They used to stick women with, you know, PMT, but their period in there because they would lose it. You know, I lose it with my mind. Same. Um, so this guy that ran the lunatic asylum said he thought that Emery Medor had a fairly well balanced mind and was sane. Anyway, we'll get to the end of the trial. The trial was concluded on the 20th of July, 1899. The jury retired for an hour and they returned with a verdict of not guilty on the grounds that Medor oh. was temporarily insane at the time of the murder. But the justice, hearing the court, Justice Williams ordered that he be kept in strict custody at the governor's pleasure. So obviously locked up in a, the insane asylum. Uh, and while he was there, he worked as a librarian. His hair turned white. He was transferred to Bendigo Jail. And from time to time, his friends tried to have him released, but they weren't very successful. And Lynn just zoomed to 10 years later. May 1909. Sorry, this is so long, but I just loved all the madness of it. Uh, May 1909, an elderly man known as Emery Gordon Medor was released from Bendigo Jail. The medical officer said that he was now mentally sound and two of his friends met him at the jail and they all took the train back to Melbourne. And I gather he must have lived out the rest of his life, probably having given up the drink, he would have been okay. Mm. Just lived out. Bloody hell. All this because some fuckers want to have some fun at the market. I know. A bunch of radishes, 
threat I'm going to type? Like, what do you Google to try I, and I've get... searched everything. <laughs> I've searched like symbol, radishes, omen, radishes left at door. <laughs> Nothing's coming up. Nothing. No, no, Maybe he was just we'll... personally triggered by radishes. Maybe there's some sort of in-joke there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. What are you personally triggered by? I don't know. People walking slow at the supermarket. It just oh. fucking kills me. Oh. Yeah. oh I've got worse yeah. people that help themselves. And it's not happening as much now, but people that take some of the grapes and eat them. Oh, <laughs> I think I my grandparents used to do that, yeah. <laughs> I told a man off once because when they – at one stage in Coles, they had like open cashews that you could fill your bag with. They've got them under yes. little plastic lids now. But, and this man was just standing there eating handfuls of cashews. <laughs> I oh told him off. God. I said, that's stealing, mate. And he fought back. Well, and I went in more. It was quite ugly. <laughs> I have a real problem with people, and this is quite relevant now, sneezing and not car- not covering their mouth. Oh, and I remember mm. when I was in London, when I don't know when it was, last year maybe, yeah, last year, someone sneezed as we were walking towards each other and just they just sneezed out in front of them. And I was so triggered by it that I that's when I tweeted saying that people that do that should be fired into the sun. And now yeah. look at where we are because yeah. of fuckers like that. If we just fired all these people into the sun, we'd be fine. Yeah. I'm with you. No, ro- roast them. Mm. I was going to say in yeah. hell, but that doesn't work because it's the other direction. Pick a direction. Correct. And go with it. Okay, we've got I've feedback. I've just done a story. So you go first. Okay, it's from Gemma. She says, hi, ladies, nice things, nice things. I want to share that my mum was one of the first women to work in the Sydney morgue back in the 80s. That sentence is quite interesting because that would mean that they didn't let women work in the morgue once upon a time, that it was only a man's job. Um, She was an assistant and would help with opening the bodies and preparing the organs. When I asked her one of the most memorable moments the other day, she said it was the body they called the soup lady. They had tried to, she tried to electrocute herself when she was in the bath. She died, but the power didn't short circuit. So she remained in the hot bath for four days before someone found her. The top half of her body was floating. And so the normal decomposition had occurred. The bottom half was cooked. As mum said, the nice brown slow cooked meat texture. Yeah, that's like falling off the bone. That's disgusting. Yuck. Okay, do you want me to do another one? Well, I can do a little one. I just this was um, because it was in reference to our last episode um, where I was. um, Was it your girl that was overdosing on? um, Yes, Jane Andrews uh, Mm -hmm. on uh, Panadol. Yes. Paracetamol, yes. and I went, what? Um, so we had a couple of messages, one from Scott and one from Catherine, um, both saying pretty much the same thing, that paras- yeah. paracetamol may be a mild analgesic, but incredibly hepatotoxic, hepatotoxic in overdose. So if you don't get to the hospital within really? 12 hours, you won't survive. And apparently it's a very long and painful way oh. to go, <gasps> but people use it because it's freely available. Oh. Do you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry. There's a dog on my lap. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't, um, I won't specify how much you have to take or anything like that because no, I don't no. need to be sharing that sort of stuff. But I had no idea that it was. Well, it's, it, 
Bruce, please stop. It's very interesting that you say that because obviously I've mentioned it in previous episodes, I've got really bad back pain and I have called nurse on call before to see how much Voltaren I can take with certain other medications because I'm terrified of overdosing. Mm. And they can tell you. So if you have fears, you should call, or if you're in Australia, you should call nurse on call because yeah, they can tell good. you what you can take. They're so great. Mm. So you may remember we mentioned Carly on episode 86 and she had told us that she listened to us so much that when she tried to do a voice to text on her phone, it got confused and added what we were saying on the episode. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Yep. Okay. So her poor partner um, received really confusing text messages. And then I think it was you, Dee Dee, dictated a text message on the pod that she could convert to text. And it said... She did it. And this is what it said. Hello, partner of Carly. She's going to murder you one day. And it's done your ha, 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 ha from Dee Dee. And it's spelt my name, Chanel. That's always happens. It can never get my name. From from Dee, Chanel and Kirsten. At the, well, it's then put a panda face in there. At the Dead Bodies podcast to try and screenshot it and send it back. Yes to you. I do it, Carly. Anyway, so it kind of stuffed up at the end bit. But she has sent this to her partner. (laughs) And she said, do you know how sometimes at work when I'm in the truck, I listen to that Dead Bodies podcast and sometimes you get text messages talking about murder? Well, I wrote into them and told them about what my watch does to you and that's their reply. And he wrote back, they actually sent that to you. And she said, yes, if you listen to episode 86, they encourage me to murder you. And he's written back, that is not cool. And he's put laughing emojis. Yes. And then all she replied was, bye-bye, Craig. And she put laughing emojis back, which is so cute. Should it's we check in on like Craig? A, I think we need to check in on Craig. Yeah. <laughs> Craig, feel free to message us and tell us you're okay. <laughs> yeah, just let us you. know. Otherwise, we'll keep that for the police later. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do one more quick one. This is from Jean Marie, and she says, Howdy from Texas, ladies. Dee, you better read this aloud or in your head in an accent. Okay. Howdy from Texas, ladies. I love it. I'm picturing her with like yes. a cowgirl hat on, cowgirl You're boots. You're the best. Lots of the um, fringe on the sleeves. I love it. Yes, yes. sorry. Thank you for the greatest podcast. Nice things, nice things. I want oh. to send you this me- meme. <laughs> Would they say meme oh. or me, do you think? I, I don't know. Go meme. It's your accent. It's funny. Meme, yeah. I saw in another podcast group, when I read it, all I could hear in my head was Charnel saying, Murder. Keep Murder. up the great work, girls. And thanks for being my co-workers when I'm working from home to avoid COVID, COVID-19. How's that for her? I don't know why she you sounded like a You did that really well. Really Thank you did you. it She's really good. She's probably far more delicate and sweet. Anyway, so what she sent is um, a picture or a little uh, a meme. And it says, the earliest documented use of forensics to solve a murder goes back to the year 1248 in China. A labourer was murdered with a harvesting sickle. You know, those sort of half a C-shaped yes. knife. Um so murder with the sickle, uh, a tool that every harvester owned. So everyone had one. So how were they going to know who had done the murder? Yeah. The investigator had all the harvesters gather and lay their sickles on oh. the ground. 
field flies immediately began to land on just one of the sickles. They were attracted to the traces of blood. The owner of the murder weapon confessed afterward. How about that? Wow. Murder. That's so smart. Oh, that's a chi- Chinese murder from many, many years ago. Oh, no. So no. Thank you, yeah. Chinese. No. See, no, hang on a minute. <laughs> no, can't. you can't. I don't know why, but Chinese sounds immediately racist. Yeah. I don't know why. Do it anyway. No. I, do it. I don't care. <laughs> no. Howdy, partner. No, I... See, that's okay. Yes. I don't know why that's okay and the Chinese why is it one is different? not. Well, you better brace know. yourself because I've been preparing a Japanese story and that's coming in a few no! weeks. No! Yes, it is. It is no! coming. Yes. Horokoshi. <laughs> We're going there. I just don't um, know why. That, do you know what it is? I think it's because, I don't know, Donald Trump has been saying China in a particular way China. lately. Yeah, the Jane. Jane. It's, yeah, it, it sounds so racist. We know what it sounds like, mm. Sean. We know. I know. We've all got one. Only the girls have. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> been lovely being with you in lockdown. We'll keep you company. We will continue to keep oh you company God. for as long as we can. And in the meantime, send us your dead body stories. Here comes Tony with the email address. Yay! Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.